Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Well, today what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture in the Bible. Is that okay if we use the Bible? Well, we're in church, I guess we've got it, right? Um, I want to make a few observations about a story that Jesus launches into at, to a response to a religious scholar's questions. Um, and then after making a few observations from that story, I just want to give one application. If we can just walk away with one thing to do, um, I think that would be cool. So let's go to the question first. Let's go to this religious scholar's questions that he comes to Jesus. People would often go to a rabbi and ask a series of questions, and these questions are not new that you would ask a rabbi. And in fact, you know these questions well. Well, you know some parts of the answers well because you've built kind of what you value as a church on two out of the three. Love God with all your strength, your heart, your mind, your soul, and love your neighbour And the third one is as yourself. And last time I came here, I actually spoke on learning to love yourself and the importance of that and how that they're all interconnected and and how it's hard to love people if you don't even love yourself. It's hard to love God. And what is God? I mean, it's hard to love nature, creation, God's creation, you know. Sometimes we talk about, you know, you've got to look after our environment, but we've got to start with first learning to love yourself you're missing something fundamental. And, in fact, I think we don't talk about the environment in church because we think it's irrelevant, but the whole genesis is all about the environment and the whole laws of the Old Testament go deeply into this relationship between human beings and the animals and the pastures and creation. We, unfortunately, have left that subject to the greenies. But God is green, by the way. (laughs) And I'd love to come here one day and do a sermon on the environment for you because the Bible's jam-packed with it. But anyhow, that is another thing. Let's look at this. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm going to read from here because I simply can't see it from there. Can anyone else see that? Oh, good. Well, 2020 to you. Um, That's fantastic. I'm reading from the message. Sounds cool. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. In other words, he doesn't really want to know the answers. He just wants to intellectually try and back him into a corner somewhere, have a doctrinal argument with him. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Uh, Another way to say that is what do I need to do to have life with God? What do I need to do to get in harmony, to get in step with God? Okay? Okay. He answered, what's God's law say? How do you interpret? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbour as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you will live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbour? So notice the two questions here. The first question is, teacher, how do I get eternal life? Can you see that's the first question? And the second question is, 
how do you define neighbour? Because how I treat my, my neighbour here is linked to how I get eternal life. According to this, we're all, in, we're all with me so far? Yep, so throw out what you've been told so far about eternal life, that it's a prayer that magically gets you into heaven. This doesn't indicate that. It's saying it's, 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 there's, a, there's a dependence on these two questions, right? Yeah. So how does Jesus answer it? Well, he does what he always does. He throws out a story, a parable. Now, parables in the Bible are meant to disrupt you, are meant to shock you, okay? And they're not true. They're not a literal, you know, often people build doctrines on parables, but they're not meant to do that. They're just a story to get the point across. And they're often shocking, disruptive, sarcastic, humorous, unbelievable. And if you understand the cultural significance, sometimes the crowd will be going, I can't believe he just said that. That is like, whoa, right? Uh, so let's, let's look at the story. So Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. What a rat bag, hey? (laughs) Uh, Anyhow. Uh, Then a Levite, a religious man, showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan travelling on the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him on his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbour to the man attacked by the robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Wow. Who is my neighbour? It's a good question, is it? Because we're to love our neighbour as we are to love ourselves. So who exactly is our neighbour? Well, I reckon to really understand this story, you've got to define the characters because Jesus doesn't just pluck these characters out of thin air. He uses them intentionally to shock people, religious people, because that's who he's talking to, a religious scholar. He knows the word of God backwards, this bloke. He's got it all down pat. But he wanted to make sure, when Jesus wanted to make sure there's absolutely no room for confusion here. So he chose these characters um, to really define who your neighbour is. So who are the characters in the story? Well, we've got a priest, a religious man, and a Samaritan and a stranger. Right? You've got four characters Who is Jesus telling the story to? He's telling the story to a religious scholar, an expert in Jewish law, right? Back in those days, 
The Bible was the law. You didn't have a separate constitution. You didn't have the police were the Pharisees, the the lawyers of the day. You understand that? They were like the the police. There you go. (laughs) Um, So if Jesus was telling a story here and now, what would the characters be? Well, obviously, the expert in religious law, he would be maybe a Bible college lecturer. Yeah? Uh, The priest, well, that would be the pastor of the church. That would be Dave. That would be me. Well, I'm not the pastor of your church, but I have a a community of some sort. The religious man, well, that would be you. That would be the churchgoers. Right, that would be the people that came within the context of the priest's community. Yeah, and the Samaritan, who would that be? Well, the Samaritan, you've got to understand, and I'm sure you've heard it, you've, you would have heard sermons on Samaritans and stuff like that for years, but Samaritans and Jews just didn't get on. There was enmity between them, and it goes back for centuries. You remember the story about Nehemiah rebuilding, trying to rebuild the city wall, and he got opposition? Samaritans, right? And they were basically, if you understand the history of the Bible, there was 12 tribes of Israel, Ten of them got wiped out by the Assyrians and two in the southern tribes survived, right? But ten of them got absolutely wiped out and they were taken off into exile, taken off into captivity. Assyrians stayed, intermarried with the Jews left over, Samaritans, right? That's the history. So to a Jew, they were spiritually confused. They were, they did know, you know, they were like backsliders, severely. All they believed, the parts of the Bible they had was the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. They kind of accepted that. They believed that Jerusalem isn't the holy city. They had Mount Giza or something, another, uh, another mountain that was important to them. Um, they thought... The Jews had totally missed it, and the Jews thought these guys had totally missed it. Just to give you a bit of history. You with me so far? So out of all the people least likely to stop and help, Samaritan, no way, unclean, spiritually messed up, didn't fit within our community anymore, outcasts. You got it? Then there's the stranger. Well, that's any person that you don't know. Is the person next to you a stranger? I highly doubt it. They're a part of this church community. So it's not not talking about them. Is your family members strangers? No, they're your family members, not talking about them. A stranger is a stranger. (laughs) So they're people you don't know. So what are some observations we get from this story? Let me give you just three, three of them. Number one, observation number one. Right actions matter more than right beliefs. Unfortunately, Christianity has moved from practice or a practice-orientated religion to a belief-orientated religion. You've got to believe the right stuff because if you don't believe it, you're in trouble. All right? Who knows what the, the Samaritans, as far as in this story, they, he believed all crazy kind of things as far as everyone else was concerned. But right actions matter more than beliefs. You can sit here, 
You can worship and go, Jesus, change me, I surrender, I want to do your will. Go home, be disrespectful to your parents, and that's okay. You can be disobedient, you can treat other people with contention, you can be prejudiced, that's okay. As long as you believe the right stuff. So the two people, the church minister, the church goer, they know that they're made in God's image. They understood relatively about the love of God. They give the impression out of the two, the three people in this story, they would actually go and help this person. They've heard plenty of sermons on being doing the mitzvah, doing the good work to glorify God. They had 601 mitzvahs, good works, the, the, the commands, the Ten Commandments were called the Ten Mitzvahs, the good works, right? They understood what salt and light was all about. Yeah, but they didn't. The Samaritan, the person that was considered not to have their act together spiritually, confused about God, considered an outcast, would be the person that was least likely to stop. Can you see how this story is really confronting to these people back in the first, that century? Yeah. See, it's not about what you know. It's about what you do. In fact, most people in this city would not care in the least about what you believe. They don't care. <laughs> it's what you do. That makes a difference. You'll be remembered not not by what you know. You'll leave a legacy as a church by what you actually do. Yeah. Jesus said to the Bible college lecturer in his story, which of the three became a neighbour to the man attacked by the robbers? He said, the one who treated him kindly. Kindness is love in action. The one who did something. And Jesus said, now you go and do this and you'll be blessed. You go do this. You want to have life with God? You want to connect? You want to get in harmony with where I'm at? You go do this. Yeah, and you'll be blessed. Over the years, you know, I've I've, I've been in ministry on a paid level, I guess, and on a professional level for over 30 years. So I've got a lot of stories. I've got a lot of interactions with Christians, people. And I've got to tell you, some of the most draining, boring, tiresome conversations is when people want to argue doctrine with me. (laughs) It's just... So draining about what they believe, you know. Oh, some of the stuff. I mean, you guys would know. People come up to me and go, oh, look, we shouldn't celebrate Easter because it's traditionally a pagan festival. I go, oh, my goodness. Oh, did you know that Santa and Satan have the same letters in them? I go, well, you know, God and dog does as well. (laughs) Like just... Stuff, you know, and uh, stuff about, you know, the importance of the centrality of Christ and the Apostles' Creed and all that stuff. And look, it's all, it's all good. Don't get me wrong. 
But if it's just about all that, you know, often I've said to people, they've come to specifically come to my congregation to argue with me, right? And I've said to them, uh, so just tell me, tell me how you live your life. And they're just shocked because they want me to argue on the level of doctrine. I go, how's that translate into being human, being kind and loving? <laughs> it often doesn't. It just translates into being cynical and negative and critical and arguments and tiresome, waste of energy stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's when we get caught up in the minors, and this is what the Pharisees were trying to do to Jesus, you know, because uh, they couldn't refute what he was doing. They were challenged to the hilt by it. So they have to go into doctrine. They have to go into that. The Bible says, you can make the Bible say a whole lot of things. True? I can get you, I can convincingly get you to get you to believe or, or preach to you in certain angles that are, that are contradictory to each other. You can get the Bible to say a lot of things to valid, to, to valid. Politicians do it. You know, one of the politicians' response to what happened in Christchurch, he quoted the Bible. The devil does it. The third temptation of Christ, he used the Bible. <laughs> you know, some of the things that we do in our own lives, we... We quote the Bible to validate our dishonesty or the way we treat another human being because the Bible says, you can get the Bible to say a lot of things. Yeah, of course you can. How many, think about all the wars and the different things that have, have had over the centuries of, of Catholics versus Protestants. They're all praying to the same God before they kill each other. Yeah, the Hindu scriptures say the same. It's all about a non-violent message, but yet you have Hindus burning, torching other people. Muslims, it's a non-violent message. If you ever look at the Quran, you know, and you go, oh, yeah, but there's parts in the Quran. Well, there's parts in the Bible too. <laughs> it's very black and white about death and murder. And you, you with me on this? Do you understand where I'm trying to go? Be kind to your neighbour, Jesus is saying. Love your neighbour. That is what's going to change the world. An action. You go do it. Yeah. Second observation. God's love is inclusive, not exclusive. Yeah. See, when Jesus gave his story, he was challenging our actions. He was also challenging our concept of what love is. See, in this story, we see a minister and a churchgoer. They had their circle of love, right? They had their community that they related to, that they felt comfortable with. But one day, someone outside of their circle of love enters the picture. Yeah, a stranger. Someone who was not known to them. Someone they're not familiar with comes into their path. So here is a stranger being beaten, robbed, and these two people pretended they didn't see him. I wonder this. I wonder if they knew the stranger would have they stopped. What do you reckon? Of course they would. Yeah. Of course they would. I reckon no, no problem. 
But because they didn't know him, obviously they felt they didn't have to love him. Yeah. What about you? If your mother or your father or a family member was on the side of the road and they needed a hand with their car, would you be stop and be kind and show love? Of course. Yeah, you wouldn't even think. Well, maybe some of you might, but there are, there are deeper issues going on there. But most of you, 95% of you, would obviously go, yeah, you'd stop, pull over. What is it? Uh, what if you were in a rush? Would you stop? Of course you would. That wouldn't be an excuse anymore because I know these people. I'm familiar with them. They're in my circle of love. Yeah. Of course you'd stop. But all of a sudden, because it's a stranger, now being in a rush is a valid excuse. Huh? It was, it was an excuse when you knew them and they were in your circle of love, but now because they're a stranger and you don't know them, mate, oh, man, I've got to get to work. But the problem is with that excuse is we're always in a rush. I've got to get to church. You're always going somewhere. If you see someone on the side of the road, you are heading somewhere, right? You're not just cruising along. You're going somewhere. There is somewhere where you have to be. So the only way that that's going to get disrupted is if the person that you run into along the way is someone that you know. But if it's a stranger, I'm out. I just keep going. Wow. Jesus is really pushing stuff here, isn't he? He's really going the extra mile and going, you want to know what the love of God really is? Well, how do you treat the stranger? Because you think you know about love, but until you know and, and exercise love to someone that you're not comfortable with, that's not in your community, that is different from you, that you don't know, you have no idea about the love of God. You can sing about it as much as you want, but until you learn to practice this stuff, you've got no idea about grace or about love. Wow, can you see how this story is confronting? Yep, three people. The rest, (laughs) fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So what we see in this Samaritan, he, he, he does something extraordinary. He's making a sacrifice. He's going out of his way. He's stopping. He's helping. He puts this guy in a hotel. He covers the costs for this stranger. Yeah. The point Jesus is making is your friends and your family are not your neighbours. They're your friends and your family and your community. The point he's trying to make is you... He's answering the question, remember. Two questions. How do you have life with God? And who is your neighbour? The point he's making to this guy, this, this religious person, is it's the stranger. Now, unfortunately, religion's been known to abuse strangers. Just, just go back to the Middle Ages, you know, come on the Crusades, people that were different. They came in and took over their lands. So... We haven't done a good job with the stranger. We've got to own it. You've got to own it. You'll never grow and become fully conscious of 
the, the Christ in you until you first of all own the darkness. Are you with me? Yeah. So, and to fulfill that commandment there, it requires you to include everyone in your love. It's inclusive. I was talking to a guy the other day who's a, it doesn't matter who he was and his religious standing, but he was just talking about Muslims and he was going on about, oh, well, I have to separate them from them because they're Muslim. I'm going, right, okay. So how do you figure that one out? Is he not the stranger in this story, maybe? <laughs> yeah. I think it's challenging that Jesus calls this person a stranger. You know why? Because we don't know the sex. We don't know what they believe. We don't know the colour of their skin. We don't know if they've had a police check done on them. We don't know if they're rich, they're poor. There's no titles. They're just a stranger. You know what it's like? Jesus just cuts through all the labels, doesn't he, that we use to separate and divide this person's right, this person's wrong, this person's here, that, all the things that, we, that are like barriers to helping help us get closer to our fellow human beings. We have all these ways we divide ourselves, you know, and Jesus just cuts through the whole thing and says, you know what, who was the most human here? Who was the person that behaved the most authentic to how I originally created them to live. It was the Samaritan. Yeah. And that's what happens. That's why the tree of good and evil, it it starts way back there when we start labelling everything. Labels just confuse the idea that we're all human. (laughs) Yeah. The love that the Good Samaritan had included the stranger. The love that the minister and the churchgoer had was exclusive. It was restricted. It was limited. It wasn't, it was small. It didn't include the strangers. So Jesus teaches here the neighbor is anyone we come across that is in need. And we're to treat them with kindness, love in action. Number three, this is a good one. I think they're all quite good, actually. Spirituality is extremely practical. It's really practical. Do you know what? The gospel is so simple, it's really hard to preach. It is so simple, it is really hard. Think about it. John the Baptist comes in. He's, he's, he was called the forerunner of Jesus. He was the guy preparing everyone to get ready for the Messiah. So what did he preach? He, he, he comes in harsh with all the religious guys and then he gets people right where they want. What, what are we going to do, John? What are we going to do? And he says this in Luke chapter 3, verse 11. It's not on the screen. He says this. If you have two coats, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. (laughs) So you know what they did? They beheaded him. It's so simple. (laughs) It's just so simple. But yet it's just confronting. 
Spirituality is so simple. It's confronting. It's Jesus was crucified. Why? Because the complexity of this religious system he didn't buy into. He just went, this person's got leprosy. He needs to be healed. This person here needs help. Help them. So simple. (laughs) Just simple. You know, I'll tell you something about your heritage is Church of Christ. In the Church of Christ as a whole constitution, they've got a heading there called Simple Christianity. Now, unfortunately... It doesn't matter how well an institution starts off, it always goes south. That's just the nature of capitalism. It's the nature of the world we live in. It's the nature of everything. You know, we just want our kids to play footy, right? And that community ultimately gets political, it gets messy and people leave because it's all about the politics of the game. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how, whether you put Christ in it or not, it doesn't matter. That's just the way it naturally heads if you're not careful. Right? Yeah. It's simple. One of, the, one of the questions I get asked a lot by people is, I don't know what God's will for my life is. And they get really anxious about it. I just want to know what God's will is. And I just go, look around. <laughs> Have you got two coats? Yeah. Have, do you know anyone that just has got none? Go give it to them. Oh, oh no, no, that can't be... I need something more to hang my hat on there. It's so simple. It's, you know, the will of God is you're surrounded by it. You've got every person here. Unless you're a hermit, you're connected to strangers in some way. You want to understand love more? You want to understand how much God loves you? Connect with someone that is least like you. I know we're naturally drawn to people that are like us. We are. We feel comfortable. We feel safe. But following Jesus was never safe. (laughs) It's not safe. Um, Becoming the kind of person that you really want to be and who you really are inside, difficult is its way because you have to ask yourself challenging questions and you have to do the inner work. Hmm. Think about this story, the Samaritan. What he did was incredibly practical. That's one side of the story, wasn't it? He went over, the guy had the snot kicked out of him, wiped his nose, bandaged him up, stuck him on his donkey, put him in a hotel, paid for the hotel and said, look, if he goes extra, I'll look after him. And What a generous person, right? Just He's going, I mean, Jesus is really rubbing it in here, right? But on his behalf, it's incredibly practical. But let's go to the stranger now. He wakes up in a bed, comes out of a coma. There's this waiters coming into his hotel, feeding him, banging him, nursing him, and he goes, yeah, this guy out of nowhere just comes. It was an angel. It was a miracle. Are you with me? The kid that's on the other side of the world right now that's getting sexually abused or the kid that's on the other side of the world right now that's starving, the person that hasn't, their parents have to walk 40 miles a day to get uh, a couple of litres of dirty water that you would not even put your foot into, 
and someone, someone comes out of nowhere and digs a well, sponsors that child, gives an education, rescues that child from that situation, that to them is a miracle. An absolute life-changing, never be the same again, miracle. But to you and I, it's incredibly practical. See, some people think to be spiritual is you can get up and do what I'm doing. I've got skill, I've learnt, I've crafted that skill to be able to deliver the word, but it's not, it's no more spiritual than you going to work as a school teacher and doing your thing. <laughs> it's no, there's no, you know what I'm saying? Or how much of the Bible you know. It's not, Jesus always turns it into, okay, you know this, now do it. The people that love me do what I say. It's practical. Spirituality has to have a body. It has to have arms. It has to have legs. Other words, otherwise it's just this mist floating around in the sky somewhere. See, God, ultimate reality, what did he do? He became flesh and blood. The universal needs particulars. The universal needs a body. Yeah, it's you and me. Okay. Let me give you one action step and I'm done. Number one. Is it up there? Did I put it in there? Maybe I didn't do it. What's the next slide? Aha. So how to be neighbourly. Number one, choose to be kind. It's a choice. It's a choice. Kindness, love in action is a choice. We choose whether we're going to do the right thing or not. Amen? Let's go to Galatians. This is where you get your whole series from, right? Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. It starts off by saying, I say then... Walk in the Spirit. He's, he's acknowledging there's a choice. There's, there's two ways that you can walk. You can walk in the Spirit or you can walk in the flesh. You know, it's ancient language for you can walk in your ego, all right, or you can walk in your true self. Who you really are at your deepest level, your essence you are a divine being. You were created in the image of God, right? You are a mixture of flesh and spirit. God breathed into humanity, not to Christians, but into all people, right? And as a Christian, hopefully you've woken up to this idea. Now you know that you're going to have this tension between your ego or your flesh and your spirit. How many know what I'm talking about? Is it just me? Paul talks about, oh, man, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do, should do, but oh, oh, praise God, I shouldn't feel condemned because Jesus, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he's talking about a very real tension that we all have. So what do you do? You make a choice. You choose. 
When you go past a stranger, you choose. You can pretend you didn't see them or you can keep going. It's a choice. Kindness is a choice. Just like in this story, these three men, two of them made choices. They're all making choices here. Choice is the beginning and the end of kindness. Yeah. We choose whether we're going to stop and care. When those opportunities come, strangers turn up in front of us, we choose. We choose whether to do what's right, despite what others think or our own fears. Right? That's the flesh, our fears, the labels, the way we label people, the colour of their skin or their strangers to it, all those things. That's the flesh, right, that puts all these things in front of what's really about, ultimately about being your essence and being your true self, right? Yeah. You might say, well, Craig, some people just don't deserve to be kind too. Yeah. Imagine if we only were kind to people that deserved it. Can you imagine the chaos the world would be in? (laughs) Yeah. Imagine if God treated us like that. He was only kind to those that ultimately deserved it. (laughs) Okay, there'd be no one here, including me. This would be empty. This wouldn't even exist. Yeah. So it's kind of like Jesus saying, and and remember, Jesus is pushing the boundaries. He says, you want to know what love is? Anyone can love their family and friends and, and people that they feel comfortable with. But let's step it up. You want to understand and get a revelation. You want to wake up to, the, to God's love, the agape, God's love? Then love your enemies. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, no, I can't do that. Oh, well, that's right. Be like everyone else. Can, everyone can do the other stuff. But loving your enemies, loving a stranger, whoa. Isn't it true to be able to do that? It requires a lot of inner work in you. Like even that I'm saying this this morning and you're going, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, yeah. It requires you to go home and do some transformational work inside. You can't. You can't. That's why the road is difficult. Life the road to life is difficult. You want to get connected in harmony. It's not difficult. Because it's not. He's not talking about it's difficult because you're a Christian. You go to church and people won't like you. It's not man, missing the point. Talk about an adventure there. It's about preparing to come to terms with all the labels and all the ways that we um, we disenfranchise ourselves from who we are and who others are and all the different labels and the, the classifications of right and wrong, all the things that divide us from who we are, we live divided and, we're, and we live separate from other people until you can see that you're connected with every human being and that you have some stuff going on in you about what you believe about yourself and about um, your pride and your prejudices and, uh, and um, the way you see the world and, to, and, and the way you react when certain people come up and get in your face and the, what comes out of you at those moments. And 
you know, you can shrug that off or you can go and go, man, that just wasn't me. And you start doing the work and coming to and entering into the dark places of your own life. You'll never ultimately transform. Don't think for a minute that if you pray for a hundred years, you sing all the songs that you're transforming, you're not. If it was that easy, man alive, that would be awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't it? If it was just that easy, uh, all the church would be a lot different than what it is to, to that today. You've got to take this, this, this take-home stuff in this. In fact, let me just give you something. I'm going to finish here. There's, there's this thing called the black light phenomenon. Ever heard of that before? The black light phenomenon. Anyone ever heard of a black light before? Yeah. Well, let me put it in the 80s terminology. A fluoro light. Those blue lights, we used to have them, blue light discos. Yeah, they were cool, right? But did you know doctors use them, uh, refrigeration people use them, forensics use them? Why? Because there's only some things that can be found in outer darkness. This light illuminates, and the, the light needs to be totally off and you turn this light on and um, fluids and different things illuminate under this light. I don't know if you knew, know this, but we've been taught in our Christian culture that it was pretty much adapted from the medieval era and Dante's paintings of hell and all that kind of stuff, that darkness is bad. But in a lot of other Christians, especially Eastern religion, they celebrate the darkness. We even adapt, you know, the Christmas tree and you put the lights in the Christmas tree. That The roots of that is to illuminate the darkness. It's all about celebrating. Why? Because how is darkness seen? Well, it's seen how it's seen in the Bible. Genesis 1 talks about what comes out of darkness. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Yeah, we've been taught to fear it, which is not what we need to do. We need to actually go into it and embrace it and go, these are some dark areas in my life, and if I acknowledge it, the possibilities of a new creation will come forth. Jesus embraced the darkness on the cross. What happened three days later? New life. You, some of you right now, without a shadow of doubt, you've got some darkness in your life. You can deny it, you can fear it, you can run for it, or you can ask the hard questions about what it's doing in you. It's a moment, it's an opportunity, and let me tell you, this is hard to do. <laughs> How can you possibly say, Craig, to look for the blessing in the darkness? You're a crazy man. But I'm telling you, if you can do this, You'll, you'll, you'll know what it means to, to transform and become the person you truly are. It's, it's called carrying your cross, looking at that stuff. Okay. Let me finish by saying... Notice the good Samaritan never preaches to the man who he helps. His kindness is not contingent 
upon him coming to church. It does make me a bit sick. Oh, can I be honest? And I've, and I've done this myself. The programs that we're doing, all the stuff, is all about trying to get more people to come to church. I think we've, we've missed it. Sorry, but we've missed it. Shouldn't we just do it because it's the right thing to do? <laughs> Shouldn't we just feed someone because they're hungry? Shouldn't we just clothe someone because they need clothes? You know, in actual fact, I think some, sometimes our foundation is based more on fear than on love. But we, it's, to me, being a Christian is a revelation of what it means to be human. I'm writing a book at the moment called 100% Human, Wake Up to Yourself. But it's a revelation of just being a human being. And God created you as a human being. And you know what he said? It's good. It's good. It's not evil, not bad. Yes, and then he gave us choice. So we have a capacity for good and evil, but it's not original sin, it's original blessing. It's good. You're good. It's good. Yeah. We should... I think Christians are the people that have a revelation of what it means to be human and we know we just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And that in itself will turn people to God. So may you, your love include strangers, pen of church of Christ. May your love be what defines you as the musos come up as a follower of Jesus Christ. A love that's inclusive, not just of your friends, your families, your neighbours, people that are like you, but it'd be inclusive of all people. May you, in your journey on this earth, choose to do the right thing. Not because it's easy, not because it's hard, because it's the right thing to do. And may you, as you do this, begin to understand a bit more about the mystery of God in your life. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org